this time, open up your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 9, verses 23 through 43. Acts chapter 9, verses 23 through 43. We're continuing our series in Acts. And we are at the portion where Paul, well, where Saul is now a Christian, but he has opposition on both sides, meaning he has opposition coming to him from the Jews who hate him now because he's now a Christian. And he has a little bit of, not opposition, but um, skepticism. Uh, from the Christian side, who don't believe that he's actually a genuine Christian. So let's take a look at this passage, and let's see what the Word of God has to teach us today. Acts chapter 9, verses 23 through 43. Hear the Word of God. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gate day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, They brought him down to Caesarea and sent him him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout uh, all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named uh, Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please, come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, he took them to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas, had, that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and, outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she she saw Peter, she she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of God. The title of today's sermon is Fear and Comfort. And the key verse, if you look at the passage is actually almost right in the middle. It's verse 32. Um, And it talks about fear the Lord and comfort in the Holy Spirit. You know, when you think about the ideas of fear and comfort, and especially when you talk about, when you think about fear of the Lord, um, sometimes you think of terror and horror and 
being afraid of God. And in some sense, there is that terror there because God, he's a dangerous God. And the only reason why we talk of him and we speak of him as a loving God, as a God who is uh, merciful and kind and that is near to us and his, his uh, kindness and his faithfulness, the reason why we talk about these things is because he has chosen to put aside his wrath, not bringing it to us, but pouring it upon Jesus Christ. And sometimes we forget that God is not just this really friendly, kind guy who kind of sits around in heaven, kind of being, kind of smiling and just generally being happy with us as long as we're happy. But we forget he's a holy and righteous God. And the only reason why he's merciful is because Jesus Christ took it all. Um, the question is, can fear and comfort coexist? Can you, can you be afraid and be comforted at the same time with the same person, right? Um, some people will say, sure you can, but it's a very unhealthy relationship. Other people will say, no, you can't. There is no comfort in fear, and there's no fear in comfort. Um, and other people will still yet say, well, that's just part of the human experience, and you can't escape it, and there's really no point in asking this question. You just kind of have to make your way and move along and make the best of your life. Uh, there was a time when I taught elementary school kids at church, and in the Sunday school, I think it was uh, fourth graders, and I took them to the movies, and at that time, Prince of Egypt was in the theaters. And I just dated myself, I understand that, so don't try to do the math, right? Um, but in any, in, in any case, we were in the theaters, and I don't know how many of you guys saw Prince of Egypt, but there's a scene where Moses and the Israelites, they're crossing the Red Sea. And they're in the middle of the Red Sea, and it's dark, and they have torches lit. And the thing is, at one moment, to show the wonder of God and how he delivered his people, there's a scene where um, the waters light up uh, because of lightning, I think. And you see this whale passing by right next to them. It's like, um, it's like the, the Atlanta Aquarium where you're, you're, you're at that great wall, you know? And you, you have these huge uh, sea creatures just swimming by and the kids are like, you know, they all have the same look on their face. And I remember, it's an animation, right? And the thing was, it was in the summer and it was cold in the theater, so it kind of added to the effect of being in that scene. But... Um, there's a scene in there when that whale shows up, there's an Israelite girl that's, that has been animated to be, to, to be surprised. And she went, oh, right, when, when she saw the whale. Thing is, all of my fourth grade Sunday school kids all did the same thing at the same time. So it was kind of comical to watch and hear, but at the same time, it kind of helped me understand, wow, you know, this is... This is the kind of wonder that we need to have of God. And um, the thing is, it's kind of like that. You know, sometimes we say, no, we shouldn't fear God. We should love God. But the thing is, yes, it's totally right to fear the Lord. And even in, and some people think, no, that's an Old Testament concept. That's before Christ came. And that's when people, the Jewish people, they feared God. But now we don't fear God. We love God. And the thing is, you have right here in Acts that people, the, the church, 
who are Christians now, they're actually fearing the Lord. And some people will tone it down to say it's not actual fear and being scared, but it's actually just a reverence and a respect. The thing is, when I was sitting in that theater with those children, and it's animated, it's a cartoon, and yet for some reason it just worked perfectly. And they actually felt like fear. I have fourth graders, right? Because the whale was so huge, the screen is huge, you know, and I like sitting in the front. Not, not, not like that close, but like, I like it to be bigger than an experience at home where you're watching TV. And so it felt real, you know? Um, and the, the students, they felt fear for a little bit, but then at the same time, they were comforted because they realized they weren't, they weren't part of that. They realized, hey, wait a second, I'm in a theater, it's okay, right? And that's what we're talking about. There is still fear of the Lord, and the reason why we can love and fear God, the reason why we can be comforted by God and still fear Him, is not because of this unhealthy trying to balance, you know, making, making your children fear you versus making them love you. You know, it's not this, well, Machiavelli, he had some points right where it's better to be feared than to love. But, you know, we should try to balance it out to make it work. So we shouldn't be too Machiavellian, but at the same time, add in, some, add in some love. And there's still some good use to fear. It's not that kind of an approach. It's, it's different from that. It's subtle, but it's different. And it's, it's a huge difference because it matters a lot in, in terms of how you feel about God and how you understand God in your relationship with him. And if you, if you just think God is this loving God who shouldn't be feared at all, but once in a while respected, that shapes how you live your life before God, if you have absolutely no fear for him. But at the same time, if all you do is fear God, and you don't understand that this God who is fearsome is also this loving God who can forgive you of all your sins, no matter how bad and dark you believe them to be, right? Um, then you will always live in oppression, and you will never know a close relationship with the Lord. You'll never know what it is to love Him and to be loved by Him, right, more importantly. Uh, but when you understand that there is this fear of the Lord that exists because He is holy and He is fearsome, and the only reason why you don't have to be scared is because the danger has been taken away. God has placed all the danger and the wrath upon Christ, and you realize that this is a God who should be feared because he strikes terror into the hearts of sinners. And yet you realize, but he took that wrath and that judgment and he laid it on Christ. And so now from that fear, there is worship and thanksgiving, right? Um, so fear is only ends up in terror when you don't realize that Jesus died for you. But when you do realize Jesus died for you, this fear changes into worship. Um, I want to tell you that this is how the first church grew. This is how it, it had healthy roots and it had a healthy culture. They had the fear of the Lord, and they were comforted in the Holy Spirit. The word comfort, it literally means 
to come alongside someone. Okay? When it says they were comforted in the Holy Spirit, it means they found security, emotional security, mental, psychological security, and of course, most importantly, redemptive security. They were reminded that they were secure in the work of Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit came and he lived with them in their presence, no matter what they were going through. And what they were going through is persecution. And that brings us to the first point, is that the church actually grew in persecution. You would think that the church would die out. The harder the hardship, the more difficult the tribulation, and the more challenging the trials that came, you would think it would die out. But actually, the church flourished in the midst of persecution. And it was actually persecution that facilitated the evangelizing of the nations around them. Because it was persecution in Jerusalem that caused the disciples to spread out to other surrounding regions. And, that, and they took the gospel with them because they were convicted of it. They believed that this was the way to live their lives. That this was the truth and that the truth would set everyone free. And so they took the gospel with them wherever they fled. And you say that's, that's cowardly. They should have stayed. And if they, if they were to be martyred, then they should have been martyred. But, you know, sometimes it's in God's plan for people to suffer and die. But sometimes it's in God's plan for people to live and to share the gospel with others. And that's what was happening here. Here's Saul. He's in Damascus. And the Jews are plotting to kill him. They want to kill him because they see him as a betrayer. And they're watching the gates, the major gates of the city, where the heaviest traffic go back and forth. But the disciples, they realize this, and Saul hears of their plot, and the disciples catch wind of the fact that there's this plot and this strategy to kill Saul, to capture him and to kill him. So what they do is they help Saul escape. They... they, they they lower him down a window in a basket. Now here, that's not the important part that I want to point out today. What I want to point out is two things. When we're in hardship as believers, and when God is working in us to grow through that hardship, there are two things that always happen with that kind of growth and persecution. The first is God's providence, and the second is faith in action. When you look at God's providence, there is no way that Saul and the disciples could have had control over knowing what the Jews were plotting. But it, Saul heard about them, okay? And the disciples heard about the plot. And because of God leading them to that information, they took action in their beliefs. They believed that Saul was chosen by God because Ananias revealed it and Barnabas spoke of it. Saul was chosen by God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And so they took action. And the disciples helped Saul escape. So you see, it wasn't cowardice that caused Saul to flee. And it wasn't cowardice that caused the disciples to help Saul escape. They weren't afraid of death or the persecution that was coming. They had conviction that God 
when Jesus met Saul on the road and he said, and he said to Ananias, I have chosen Saul to be an instrument of mine so that he can preach the gospel to the Gentiles. They had conviction of that. And they moved upon conviction, not cowardice. And so you see, here there's God's providence and faith in action. You see, it's not either or. And every time there is growth in the midst of hardship and persecution, there is both of those things. God is working outside and beyond our control. And at the same time, that doesn't mean that we just let go and let God take care of everything. Right? He does take care of everything. But part of Him taking care of everything is also giving us the will to act upon conviction. And so we let God be God on those matters and on those issues that are outside of our control. But in everything that He has committed to us and that He has revealed for us, to be faithful and fruitful in, we take action by faith. And it must come from conviction. It must come from you being convicted in your heart and in your mind that this is the very will of God. And you can't come to that point unless you are living a life that fears the Lord the kind of fear that culminates into worship because of what Jesus Christ has done. And if you are constantly being comforted by the Holy Spirit because He is with you no matter what circumstance or situation you're in. That's how the growth forms. If you look at this growth, so it, it, if it doesn't die out in persecution, it actually grows. Secondly, this growth is diverse, okay? When you look in verse 31, our key verse, you see that people from Judea, from Galilee, and Samaria are all Christians. Now you have to understand, Judea, you're looking at the pure Jewish um, ethnicities and also the most orthodox and therefore the most respected at that time, uh, Jews and religious people. Okay, Those are the Judeans. They're like the core um, believers of Judaism. And then you have the Galileans. Well, who are the Galileans? Well, the Galileans were a region to the north. And while they were Jewish in their religion, and they were patriotic about their Judaism, right? but they had mixed elements from other cultures and they weren't as orthodox, as religiously orthodox as the Judeans. They were mixed. And they kind of looked down on them as being inferior. The Judeans looked down on the Galileans as being inferior because of their mixed origins. And because of those mixed origins, you not only have nations and ethnicities coming together, you have languages and cultures. And when that happens, you have accents that form. And so they would look down on them because of their accents. Now, I believe many of us, if not all of us, can relate to this. And if you remember Peter, Peter, when, he, when Jesus was betrayed and Peter denied Jesus Christ three times, one of his accusers actually recognized him because of his speech, of his accent pattern that he was a Galilean, right? And so there was this stigma there for these people. 
Not only that, when you look at the people of Samaria, they were also mixed. But the thing is, the Samaritans always had a long history of antagonism with the Judeans. They were enemies. They hated each other. Um, you could say there were misunderstandings. But some went further than misunderstandings. There were actually intentional acts of hostility and malice that were, um, that were planned against each other. And uh, it came to the point where they said to the Judeans, now you have to understand, to the Judeans, they were the pure, the ethnically and religiously pure Jews. And so what the Samaritans would say, who were of mixed races, they would say, we actually have the pure Judaism. Our Pentateuch, our five books of Moses, our Bible, is actually the purest form of the Jewish Bible. You, at you worshiping, you Judeans who worship at Jerusalem, your Bible is actually not, it's not authentic. Now, for us, listening to that today, we're like, so what? What's the big deal? Right? But you have to understand, they attacked their core values. And in order for us to put ourselves in their shoes, all we have to think about is just what are our most treasured values in life and what would happen if people would attack those? Right? How would we feel? How would we think? And how would we react? Right? And that's what the Samaritans were doing. Right? Um, the thing is, all of these people, uh, feedback, uh, all of these people, okay, <laughs> all of these people were, they had no reason to come together. They had no reason to connect with each other. Do you know the single reason why these people are mentioned in one verse together, growing in the Lord? You're not going to find it in anything Jewish, Judean, Samaritan. You're not going to find it in anything Galilean, Roman. Okay? You're not going to find it in geography. You're not going to find it in ethnicity. You're not going to find it in family history or pedigree or language. It's in Jesus Christ. It's the resurrected Son of God who met Saul and changed this infamous persecutor of Christians into who is about to be the greatest preacher for the gospel in ancient missionary times. Um, there's one God. So they feared the Lord and they were comforted by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So they were, there was growth in diversity. So in persecution, you would think, naturally, this is something that's really bad for us. And maybe we should jump ship. Maybe we should um, not be Christian anymore because there's this hostility against us. But that's actually when the Holy Spirit gave tremendous growth. But they didn't see that. They didn't see this grand plan. They were just living their lives. They were just trying to survive, literally. They were trying not to be killed, okay? They were husbands and fathers and mothers and wives. They were sisters and brothers. They were children, okay? They were friends, right? They were neighbors. And they were just trying to live their lives fearing the Lord, trying to remember in every situation of their lives when they heard rumors about their relatives being captured by the Jewish persecutors, when they heard rumors about how their friends 
were found out to be Christian and they were imprisoned. They were just trying to remind themselves that Christ had died for them and that God has even changed this person who used to be a persecutor and God can do wondrous things. And they were trying to be comforted by the Holy Spirit in every situation that they came to. They didn't have this grand scheme. They didn't have this omniscient third eye that we have reading the book of Acts. They were just trying to live their lives. And in the midst of persecution, there was growth. And in the midst of diversity that you would think that they have no reason to connect with each other, they were connected. They were getting connected. And not only that, there was illness. You have two people who are being mentioned here. You have Aeneas and Tabitha. Aeneas, he was bedridden for years. Tabitha, this is really interesting. She is described to be a woman who was, of, who was full of good works. You have to do a lot to be defined in this manner. Okay? She was full of good works and acts of charity. But the thing is, she became ill and died. So you have Aeneas, who's bedridden. And you have Tabitha, who is full of good works. She's doing so much good. And for some odd reason, God made her ill. And she died. And they lost one of the greatest partnerships, friends of the gospel. And you're wondering, man, if the persecution is not enough, where is God in all of our afflictions and sufferings? So we're just trying to survive the persecution. And if that's not bad enough, for some reason God is not protecting us so that someone who's so important to the gospel cause has died. And you can wonder, why would God allow someone? Why would God allow that? Why would God, who wants the gospel to go out, why is he killing off some people who are so important to the cause? And you can see that doubt could have filled them. And you know, they didn't find comfort in the lack of illness. And yes, did Tabitha get well? Yes. Peter went over there. He actually raised her from the dead. And many people turned to the Lord. There was growth. And you see, her illness, her death, Ananias, uh, I'm sorry, Aeneas, his death, his, his illness. Peter heals Aeneas, and he says, Jesus Christ heals you. He didn't say, I heal you. He said, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately, Aeneas rises. And when people saw that, they turned to the Lord. Why do we suffer as Christians? Why does God allow hardship upon hardship to compound itself in our lives? Why is there one disappointment? And just when I think I'm getting used to this disappointment so that it's not dejecting me into depression, why does God allow another disappointment to come into my life? Why is there more suffering, more pain? And it's not because God has forgotten about you. It's not because there is no God. It's because God knows that some of the 
best things that God can give you come through suffering. All you have to do is look at the cross. And you can see in the moment of greatest suffering, the greatest good for humanity has been secured for all eternity. That's proof enough. And you see, that's what the Christians were being at this time. That's, where they were, that's how they were being encouraged. They, they were fearing the Lord. Meaning, they knew what an awesome and fearsome God He was. And they remembered that He actually sent His Son to take care of all the wrath and judgment that should have come to me. And even after doing such a tremendous work, you would think, okay, God could have been like, my job is done, you guys take care of the rest. No. You see, they were comforted. Because when Christ left, he said, I will send you a helper. And the helper did come. And that comfort came when God himself chose to live in every single believer, in every one of their circumstances of suffering and loss and pain and misunderstanding and disillusionment and disappointment and depression. He came and he chooses to suffer with us. You see, the Holy Spirit is a continuation. His ministry is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ chose to suffer with us. And the Holy Spirit chooses to abide with us in our suffering. And that's where the growth comes. Let me close with this. There's a song. I should have told Stephen this. All right. But there's a song called Blessings by Laura Story. And if you don't know the song, right, Laura Story used to be part of the prosperity gospel movement. Basically, what is that? She used to be a part of a church where they taught that if you obey God, he will make you healthy and wealthy. And that's the best thing going for believing in Jesus Christ. Well, thing is, her husband had, he, he had an illness. I think it was cancer. I'm not sure. And she started questioning. They were praying that he would get healed, but God wasn't healing him. And so she started questioning, why is God not healing? Is it because I don't have enough faith? Is it because he doesn't exist? Did I live a lie? Does he not care? And she realized that blessings is not just about us getting what we want. That there are blessings that are unexpected. There are blessings that are so deep and so complex and so satisfying that you can't contain it in one little theological system. Let me read to you the words from the song. It says, We pray for blessings, we pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while you hear each spoken need, yet love us way too much to give us lesser things. What if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? 
What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? There are other verses, but because of lack of time, I won't say it. You can find it. I should have put a QR code for this song and for the story. You can find it on YouTube. Put a QR code for the quote in your bulletin. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> but you can find it on YouTube. And it's, it's a great story to listen to because she basically says, she comes out of the prosperity gospel movement and basically says that God is bigger than what I thought him to be because his blessings are not just wealth and health, it's suffering. Um, and his blessings is much deeper because it's about knowing him and drawing closer to him and ultimately one day being united to him forever. That's the true blessing. And I just want to leave you with that. If there are moments in your life where you're going through tough times and it's unforeseen, it's invisible to us, we don't know what you're going through, you know what you're going through. If there are times like those, I want to encourage you, don't give up, right? Don't think the worst of it. There is a God, and He is your God, and He is there for you, and He's going to use that persecution and that suffering. He's going to use the disconnectedness and the diversity, and He's going to use the failures of your human body, illnesses and sicknesses and weaknesses to glorify Himself through you and to satisfy you and to grow you. Be comforted. Continue in the fear of the Lord, knowing that Christ paid it all, and be comforted by the very presence of the holy and righteous God who is with you now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for loving us in a way that we don't deserve. You are God who is above all things. And Lord, we seek good things, and you give it to us. But there are times you give us things that we have not expected. In such times, just like Saul and the disciples during this time, when they experience persecution, when they experience skepticism and disconnectedness, when there was so much diversity that they should have had no reason to come together, when there were illnesses and it seemed like the gospel cause was being worked against to the point where they were taking two steps back and one step forward. Lord, you are in the midst of it all, and all of it is in your glorious plan. Lord, give us a joy and a satisfaction knowing that you will provide and that you will lead us. But give us courage, God, to take action when you reveal to us what we should do by faith. And so work in us. Give us grace to be faithful to your revealed will. Help us to be fruitful for your glorious cause. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please arise with me as we finish with our response song.